Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East on AM 750 WNDZ. This is a grand day, a great week coming up. Finally, we've reached that point of what we call in the Eastern churches the Week of the Bridegroom. Great week. Also, of course, known as Holy Week. It begins today with this great Sunday of Palm Sunday, also called the Flowery Sunday in the Eastern churches. And in our prayers, we say things like this. Come all you peoples and nations and contemplate today the King of heaven. He enters Jerusalem humbly seated upon a colt as upon an exalted throne. O peoples, see the Lord who became flesh to save us according to the vision of the prophet Isaiah. Behold the spouse of the new Zion for his most pure and immaculate wedding feast. The multitude of innocent children run after him, singing praise. Therefore, with the angels, we also sing Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who brings salvation to us. Again, another example of the dogmatic hymns that make up the liturgical prayers, the divine office in the Eastern churches. And this one, as you heard, was full, as oftentimes they are, with scriptural references and allegorical typology and also theology. And in particular, that spousal imagery. You heard me read, Behold the spouse of the new Zion. For his most pure and immaculate wedding feast, the multitude of innocent children run after him, singing praise. And this is why we call it the week of the bridegroom, because Jesus Christ is coming to us as the bridegroom, coming to his bride to really to mystically consummate a marriage. It's really what it was all about, his death on the cross, his incarnation, his coming into the world in the first place. The whole great mystery really can be very appropriately and most accurately expressed, as St. John Paul II did so well in his thought, and especially his theology of the body. It can be expressed primarily, when everything else aside, as a marriage, nuptials. Let's face it, think about it. God gives himself to us entirely 
enters into intimate union with us, spends himself on the cross, gives us his body, and of course we enter into that spousal mystery, especially when we receive and celebrate the Eucharist. So it's an incredibly rich time of year, incredibly rich feast. And for the Eastern churches, this is no longer Lent. Lent ended yesterday, actually, with the Feast of Lazarus, with that great reading of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. This week begins a whole separate week. It is also a week of fasting and of penance. In fact, this week before Easter, Pascha, was actually the original practice of fasting and penance in preparation for baptism. In the early church, as is still the case, actually, but particularly in the early church, Great and Holy Saturday, the eve of Easter, the Easter vigil, was the time for baptism. And so the candidates who were going to be baptized prepared during the week by praying and fasting. A little bit later on, then, that got expanded into what we know today as Lent, the 40 days of Lent. But actually, the 40 days of Lent are an add-on to what was the original fast of Holy Week, and that's where we're entering now. In the Latin Rite, they have the custom known as the Tridium during this week, but in the Eastern churches, we don't mark this week starting on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, as the Latin Rite does, the Tridium. We mark the first three days, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, as in fact, as I mentioned, the days of the bridegroom. In fact, we sing on Monday at the Matins, we sing this in a very, very kind of minor key, almost mournful type of tone. Behold, the bridegroom is coming in the middle of the night. Blessed is the servant he shall find awake, but the one he shall find neglectful will not be worthy of him. Beware, therefore, O my soul. Do not fall into a deep slumber, lest you be delivered to death, and the door of the kingdom be closed to you. Watch instead and cry out. Holy, holy, holy are you, O God. Through the intercession of the Mother of God, have mercy on us. And we repeat that each day, especially Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of this week. On each day of the week, there are particular themes having to do with the allegorical typology of the Old Testament. By that we mean those images and persons in the Old Testament which really were a hint at Christ. They were what we call a type. Christ is the archetype. And in all the Old Testament, we really are reading about Christ and his mother. It's just that it's in these types or allegories. For instance, we read this week about the story of Joseph. Remember, he was sold unjustly into slavery by his brothers, but then he became a great leader. You can see the parallel there in the life of Christ, unjustly persecuted by his own brethren, but yet to triumph, to be the king of heaven, to triumph on the cross. What seemed to be shame and defeat becomes victory. Same thing happened with Joseph. He became a great leader in Egypt and then eventually, of course, forgave and reconciled with his brothers. On Monday of Great Week, the week of the bridegroom in the Byzantine church, the church invites us to consider the passion of Christ, which is represented under the figure of Joseph, as I mentioned, the Old Testament. Joseph, of course, was eventually released and attained the high rank among his Egyptian captors, and then he reconciles with his brothers and is reunited with his family. And therefore, as you can see, Joseph symbolizes suffering, but also triumph. And our readings are from Matthew 21, Ezekiel chapter 1, and Exodus chapter 1, and Job chapter 1. So we begin reading some of those other Old Testament books this week, Ezekiel, Exodus, 
and Job. On Tuesday, Tuesday of the Bridegroom, Holy Tuesday directs our attention to the parable of the ten virgins, teaching us to be ready for Judgment Day. As you heard in that theme that I just mentioned, Behold, the Bridegroom comes. We take on the the image of those virgins, hopefully the wise virgins, who have the oil lamps ready, filled, so that it can be lit to prepare for the coming of the bridegroom. So we are not the foolish virgins, hopefully, but we get that warning in our liturgical verses. Don't be like the foolish virgins. The time is now. Christ is coming now. And our readings are from Matthew 24, Luke chapter 1, and again Ezekiel and Job. So that's Monday and Tuesday. Now on Wednesday, we commemorate the repentant harlot who anointed Christ's feet as he sat in the house of Simon. And this is contrasted in the liturgical verses with the agreement Judas makes this day with the Jewish authorities to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And during the evening service, the sacrament of the anointing of the sick is celebrated for the healing of our souls and bodies. And this is preparing us, preparing our body and soul, a whole person, to celebrate then the institution of the Eucharist the next day so that we can receive Holy Communion as though we were entering into that very first Last Supper, that mystical supper with Christ and his apostles. Now, on Wednesday, we celebrate the presanctified liturgy, and that's a liturgy we've been celebrating all during Lent, because just like during Lent, we don't celebrate the divine liturgy during this high penitential season because it has a strong resurrection theme. So what we do in the Eastern churches is we suspend the liturgy part And instead, so as to still receive Holy Communion, we have a ceremony of receiving Holy Communion, a lot of adoration, a lot of, in a sense, benediction of the Eucharist along with Vespers. And we receive Holy Communion, but it's Holy Communion, the body of Christ, that has already been pre-consecrated, pre-sanctified at a liturgy during the weekend. So we celebrate the liturgy of the presanctified gifts, which of course has a theme of the harlot and Judas, you know, that contrasts the two of them. But we also are anointed. Now the anointing is in fact the same anointing of the sick that we bring to people who are sick. And the reason for this, as I mentioned, in addition to preparing ourselves for, to receive Holy Communion the next day, well, the way we prepare is by healing, healing our body and our soul. And the healing of body and soul is the forgiveness of sins because sin brought death into the world. And sin is a sickness of the soul, which manifests itself also in the sickness of the body. That's why we always speak of the two in the same breath in this sacrament of healing, this seventh sacrament, the seventh mystery of the church, which we celebrate on Great and Holy Wednesday evening. We celebrate this because we're looking to heal our body and our soul through primarily the forgiveness of our sins and our repentance. As I mentioned, since all physical ailments are a manifestation of sin, they all have their origin in sin. You know, we were never meant to die and to get sick. This all is a result of original sin. Because of that, the church in her wisdom knows that we must heal ourselves, body and soul. We're psychosomatic beings. You can't separate out our soul and our body. They are separate entities, but you can't separate them out from our total personhood. And that's the great tragedy, the great cosmic obscenity, as Peter Kreef said, about death, that our souls and bodies do in fact separate. But precisely because of this coming week with Christ's death and resurrection, that separation is only temporary. Our bodies will reunite with our souls again, be glorified and whole again, hopefully at the wedding feast of the Lamb. 
We're going to talk more about this marvelous week of the bridegroom when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. As a married couple, how would you like to give each other the gift of love itself? Then this is for you. Hello, I'm Father Thomas J. Loya, and I am inviting husbands and wives to join me and the team of the Tabor Life Institute at St. Basil's Parish in Sterling Heights, Michigan on Saturday, April 30th for Embracing the Mystery, a day of recollection for married couples. Our presentation weds together the sacramental liturgical worldview of Byzantine spirituality and St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body to rediscover the why of marriage so as to know the how of a happy sacramental marriage. We will also integrate what goes on in church with what should go on in our homes. For information and to register, visit TaborLife.org. That's TaborLife.org. Or call 708-645-0762. 708-645-0762 for Embracing the Mystery, a day of recollection for married couples. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at ByzantineCatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. We're moving through with our Lord through Great Week, the week of the Bridegroom. We've come through Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday with their respective themes and readings from the Scripture. Now we come to Thursday, Great and Holy Thursday. There are four events celebrated today, but actually we're going to add on another big one this particular year. The usual four are Jesus washes the feet of the disciples, the institution of the mystery of the Holy Eucharist, the agony of the garden, and the betrayal of Christ by Judas. Now in cathedrals, in Eastern Catholic cathedrals on this day, the bishop actually washes and kisses the feet of 12 priests during the liturgy. He also consecrates the Holy Chrism, that's the oil used in the sacrament of confirmation, and he also blesses new Antimensians if he is a new bishop in an eparchy. An Antimensian means the cloth that lays on top of the altar 
inside that cloth, there is a relic that is sewn in. And very much like the altar stone of what was very common in the Latin Rite Church, the Eastern churches use a cloth, not a stone, but a cloth. The cloth has the relic woven into it. The image on the cloth is of Christ being taken down from the cross, being prepared to be buried. And it is upon that cloth, that antimension, that the liturgy, the Eucharist, is celebrated in Eastern churches. So the bishop will use the Holy Chrism to actually consecrate that cloth. And that cloth, together with vials of the Chrism, are sent to each parish that is under the bishop. And what this is, is an extension of the bishop into each parish. Through the chrism and through this antimension, that parish has the signs, the seals of its belonging to that bishop, its connectedness with that bishop. You see, the pastor and the priest, the parish, really is ultimately the extension of a bishop. The bishop is the actual pastor of any parish. The priest, in a sense, makes the bishop present. The priest is like a bishop by proxy. And so, only the bishop can confirm someone in the church east and west. However, by extension, by giving to each parish the consecrated chrism, this then allows the priest, acting on behalf of the bishop, as though he were an extension of the bishop, to perform the sacrament of chrismation, which in the Eastern churches follows baptism. Baptism, chrismation, and Eucharist are the three first sacraments of initiation in the Eastern churches, and they follow and happen at the same time within basically the same ceremony, regardless of age, whether you're a baby or an adult. So, The Holy Chrism is consecrated by the bishop, sent to all the churches as his extension of himself, of his own office, into those parishes. And the Antimension, if it is a new bishop, he only does this once, because each parish then gets that cloth and they keep it, as long as he's the bishop. When there's a new bishop, there's a new cloth that is sent out by that bishop. Now, the cloth, as I mentioned, sits on top of the altar, and this is a carryover from the days when the early Christians celebrated the Eucharist on top of the catacombs, on top of the burial places inside the catacombs, and that became the law of the church, that the liturgy, the divine liturgy, the sacrifice of our Lord's body and blood and his resurrection in the Eucharistic liturgy has to occur on top of the relics of martyrs. That happened, as I mentioned, in the early centuries of the church and has become now the way in the church, east and west. And that's why you have altar stones or the Antimensians. So that all happens on Holy Thursday. However, as I mentioned, this Holy Thursday, we have an added event, a huge event. We begin to celebrate at the same time as our Lord's mystical supper on Holy Thursday and all these other events I mentioned. We celebrate now the vigil for the Feast of the Annunciation. In fact, the promise of that feast will carry over into the next day, which would be Friday, happens to fall on Good Friday this year, and it will take a certain precedence. Now, we might find that to be a little bit strange. It certainly is a very interesting liturgical experience. It's, it's going between two types of sentiments, the joy and the sorrow, the incarnation, you know, the annunciation, and also the crucifixion. But the reason why it has such precedence is because, and if you think about it, it seems pretty logical. As important as Christ's death on the cross is, of course, we can't possibly describe its importance. It's so important. Despite that, it would have never happened. His death on the cross, his resurrection, in fact, his birth, nothing would have happened had it not been for the Annunciation. In other words, his incarnation in the very womb of the Virgin Mary, even before his incarnation at his birth, 
So his incarnation really starts at the message of the angel Gabriel that comes to Mother of God. And in that moment, Christ is conceived in her womb by means of the Holy Spirit. So that made everything else possible. And so it takes great precedence on the days when it happens to fall on Good Friday. This is one of those years. However, whichever way you want to look at it, kind of like the bottle, half empty or half full, it's either an absolute delight for liturgists or an absolute nightmare, whichever you want, however you want to see it, half full or half empty. But it is a very interesting and rather complex liturgical experience in our church. What we do is we have to combine the two services together, the two themes, the Annunciation and, of course, the Crucifixion. On Great and Holy Friday, once we have celebrated the Annunciation that we will do this year, we also read from John's Gospel, from Zechariah chapter 11, Isaiah 52, you know, the suffering servant, Exodus 33, and Job 42. So again, we connect the Old Testament. We read back into the Old Testament in light of the new, in light of the events in which Christ's life on earth comes to its full flowering, its full meaning. It is though we see Christ in his final days, and even after, during his resurrection appearances, we see all that, and then we look back in the Old Testament, and then we understand what all of that in the Old Testament was really about. It all comes to fulfillment, every detail in Christ, especially in his last days on earth. When you read Isaiah 52, the details are amazing. It's like you're standing there at the foot of the cross, And yet, Isaiah came well before, of course, Christ. But the prophecy is amazing, and Christ fulfills it in every detail. On Great Holy Friday, one of the most moving parts of the service, as I mentioned, once we get beyond the celebration of the Annunciation, we will end the service with a very dramatic, very moving liturgical action of taking a shroud, it's a large cloth with an image of the dead Christ on it, as though he has been taken down from the cross, placed in a cloth, and taken to the tomb. That image is on a shroud. That shroud is then taken in procession on the back of the priest, or sometimes they hold it above the priest. The priest taking on the person of Joseph of Arimathea, who took Christ's body down from the cross, and the women anointed it and prepared it for burial. And we go in procession singing the solemn hymns. And we come into the church. The procession usually takes place outside the church if the weather's okay, otherwise it's inside. But there is in the middle of the church a structure that represents the tomb. And the priest then takes that shroud after processing with it on his back. He takes it from his back and lays it then in the tomb and incenses it, and we prostrate before it. And throughout the night, the church stays open. It becomes the tomb. It stays open for people to come and venerate, to be like the soldiers guarding the tomb, or like the apostles who could not spend one hour with Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, but we too, but now we rather, do spend an hour in prayer and contemplation before this burial shroud that has been laid in the tomb. This is an all-night vigil, a great tradition in the Eastern churches, and once again, through the liturgy, we are immersed into the events of Christ's life as though they are happening right now. And in fact, it is true, they are happening now. The events of Christ's life, especially the mystical supper, the Last Supper, his death and resurrection, have a timelessness to them. They, they transcend time. So they happened once and for all, but for all time. And it is through the liturgy, which is why church is so important, because only through the liturgical life of the church 
do we enter into those one-time events as though they're happening now for the first time? They have an eternal now to them, a timelessness to them. And we literally immerse ourselves in those events. We are there. We are really there at the cross. And the liturgy really, really helps us to feel that, to experience that. Finally, then we come to Holy Saturday, Holy and Great Saturday with the Jerusalem Matins, the celebration of Christ's great war and battle as he descends into hell on the Sabbath rest and breaks the power of hell and emerges victorious. And that brings us to his resurrection, which we will hear about on Sunday. But this week, we walk with him to Calvary and descend with him into hell only in hopes of rising with him at his resurrection. To get the schedule of these magnificent services during this week of the bridegroom at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, 14610 Will Cook Road in Homer Glen, Illinois. You can go to our parish website, byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab. And on iTunes, Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. A message from the Knights of Columbus. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!